Hello and welcome to episode 358 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we're coming to you in separate locations this week. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm coming to you from Brandon, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. It is the Luis Castillo episode of the pod after he changed his number this season, having worn 21 last season. And it's been a lucky 58 so far for Luis Castillo. After Tuesday night, 11 and two-thirds scoreless innings so far for him is the Mariners opening day starter. Not everything's gone that well. We'll talk about that later. He's a beast. Who Luis is a beast right now. It is a Felix-like performance to start the season, and we hope that it is not a Felix-like performance for the rest of the season. Well, Felix-like no, you... outcome for the team around right. him. You hope it's not a Felix-like postseason, which was not anything to do with Felix, of course. Uh, in a last-minute change this week, let's get to our beer. I am drinking from our, our good friends at Miyashita Shuzo Brewery in Japan, the Dopo Yuzu Ale. Wow, I, good, I, good friends. Yeah, we're <laughs> chatting often. <laughs> I picked up at one point because I thought we might do this. Is a toast either way, depending on the outcome of the USA-Japan game uh, in the World Baseball Classic. But then we did not end up drinking anything on that pod, as it turned out. So That's actually kind of awesome that you did that. Yeah. Uh, let's get into this week's toast, starting with the congratulations to Brian Schmetzer, who won his 100th career MLS regular season game Saturday as the Sounders beat the Galaxy 2-1. to one. Uh, our, it's the conclusion of our tournament pools updates with the NCAA tournament crowning champions last week. We also crowned champions. Congrats to Jonathan two five three for winning the men's bracket by ten points. One first round pick over Eric Manley, the only other person to pick UConn to win the title in our group. On the women's side, Adam Bartz had it all locked up after Iowa beat South Carolina in the semifinals on Friday. Is nobody in our group, and just three percent of all people nationwide correctly picked LSU to win it all. What seed was LSU? Three seed. Interesting. Which is very confusing because they went, I believe, whatever in two. I think it was 30 and two in the regular season. But their non-conference schedule was so bad that they still got a three seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about about this final game. I didn't get to see any of this. I was traveling this weekend and I didn't get to see any of these final four games or the championship game. It feels like Caitlin Clark and her performance with Iowa really enraptured the country, but then LSU taking them down. What seed was Iowa, by the way? Two. Okay. So they ended up the highest seed in their region in Seattle because Stanford was the number one seed and got upset. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, the entire timeline Friday night when Iowa was taking on undefeated South Carolina, the number one defense in the country, the presumptive number one pick in this year's WNBA draft, Aaliyah Boston, like all of that. That was that was the entire timeline Friday night, and enough people who tuned tuned in were, you know, captured by Caitlin Clark's play and, and the excitement of how Iowa plays as a team and the drama of seeing them go up against LSU. That uh, it was the the highest rated women's basketball game ever 
the final on Sunday, wow. LSU and, and Iowa. Co- college, professional, anything? No, no, high school. I, I don't know about WNBA. I'm not sure how that okay. compares, but it was the highest women's college game on record. So, although I saw like there was a bunch of metrics, like it was higher rated than any MLS game ever. So I, you wouldn't be surprising if it was the highest rated women's basketball game, period. Maybe the Olympics, I guess, would be the other competition here. Did I pre- did I predict, I think there was a Pelton quotes about this, that I predicted that this was going to be the year of the WNBA. And funnily enough, I think I was right about that. It just happened that it is going to be, this is the most important draft lottery of all time. And this whole season is going to be about watching Caitlin Clark for next year. Yeah. So, right. Like the, the, the interest, although again, as we've said, Caitlin Clark may not be in next year's draft. It could be two years or it could be two years. She got the COVID year. She is not sticking around. Uh, she told my buddy Ben Golliver, the Washington Post, she was 50-50 on it at this point. I mean, obviously, that's a long ways off. A year from now? I'm 50-50 on everything a year from now. <laughs> it's always 50-50. Literally anything. But this is going to be... There's a lot of things that you know are going to happen, but you can't say are going to happen because you're going to be in fucking Iowa for the next year. You know what I mean? If you're like, I'm definitely She's... leaving after next year. I mean, she's from Iowa. She's going to be in Iowa her entire life. But that's what I'm saying is like, you can't just go to school every day or whatever and be like, peace, bitches. I'm out of here. I mean, like, it's, it's four, you've given four years. First off, also, like, NBA draft picks do this all the time. Like, yes, there are some that do the charade of like, I don't know if I'll be back next year, but there are some that make it very clear. I am here the one year and that's it. But like, Aaliyah Boston like didn't say ahead of time, but she also wasn't saying she was 50 50 either so i think that there's a difference in that well, um, we'll see but i think this is going to be a very interesting WNBA season knowing that caitlin clark is likely on the horizon for whoever wins that draft lottery you have that and, and the Wemby lottery is like these are two very very intriguing ones and just as we've talked about before it's the potential depth of next year's draft because it could be Paige beckers who's coming back next year at uconn from her acl injury angel reese we'll talk about in a second here cameron brink at stanford like the the list goes on it's a a lot of exciting prospects as compared to the last few years of the WNBA draft but uh so sunday we all turned in to see the caitlin clark show caitlin sanity and lsu had other ideas even though caitlin got off to a great start uh lsu played I think the entire second quarter without Angel Reese, their star, much of it without Alexis Morris, their their senior point guard who, or senior guard who declared for the uh, the the WNBA draft uh, afterwards, and was maybe the me is impactful as just about anybody on the court in that game in terms of defending Caitlin Clark and also leading them on offense, and it just didn't matter because of the fact that they were making every three they took in the first half. It was an incredible display of shot making by two that came in shooting 19% on threes in the NCAA tournament. Uh, definitely foul trouble was a storyline. Kaylin Clark spent the end of the first half on the bench with three fouls. Her teammate, Monica Sinano picked up two fouls pretty early and spent a long time on the bench and eventually fouled out of this game. Caitlin Clark picked up her fourth foul on a technical unhappy after uh, Sinano had gotten her fourth foul. Uh, it was a, a pretty poorly refereed game, but also that like such fucking bullshit. 
I'm so fucking sick of this that a technical foul counts as a personal foul. It is the stupidest rule in all of sports. Not, nothing else. Every single part of sport. Getting the personal foul for a technical foul is the stupidest rule. Can't disagree. Especially in that case, the rule is... <laughs> I can't is... disagree that it's the stupidest rule in all of sports. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's probably some stupid. Can't, can't disagree. Solid take. Solid take. <laughs> Sound. <laughs> And the explanation for the technical was that it basically was like a version of a delay of game. And the rule specifically states that like for that to qualify is a technical foul at all. And certainly as an individual technical foul, it has to be trying to gain an advantage by holding the ball and not passing it directly to a referee. And in this case, LSU was going to the free throw line. So it was just like a completely bogus explanation. And so did Caitlin Clark have to come out of the game because of that? I think she did briefly. It wasn't for an extended period. This was at the end of the but third she quarter. Play... She played the entire fourth quarter with four she fouls. She did ha- hypothetically have to play differently after that. Hypothetically, yes. This is so fucking dumb. The colleges, rec- re- they recognize on a large scale that these are major international, basically, TV products, right? That they're selling. Conferences but on recognize the... that. Conferences recognize that. On a micro level, they still do not understand that the WNBA needs a David Stern. Not the WNBA. Women's college basketball needs a David Stern. College basketball in general needs a David Stern. Yeah, because dead otherwise. There is no women's or men's college basketball from a leadership standpoint. I mean, like the rules committees are separate, but you know the 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 overall it all falls under the NCAA's purview, which it does. I will have tell you that the trajectory of these two sports they are crossing, right? It's I not the fucking that. 1970s anymore. Like, women's college basketball is a lot more exciting. Again, could I name a single player who played in the national championship game of the men's tournament? I watched some of the game yesterday. Could not name one. What was the center's name? for Don- Donovan Klingon. Or you're saying the guy who was the most outstanding player? I I don't know. They had, they had a center a- who looked pretty beastly, UConn. But... Adama Sinogo. Sinogo. I was going to say Okongo. Okay, Sinogo. Yeah, that that dude, like, I, again, literally could not name his name. Is he an NBA prospect at all? Second round. Nope. <laughs> Caitlin Clark plays in fucking women's college basketball. They have the most marketable WNBA player, or they have the most marketable, I should say, WNBA, women's basketball player probably in the entire world right now. Yeah. But anyways. Fuck it up. Somehow they did, yes, in terms of the foul trouble. I mean, Angel Reese was awesome. Like I said, LSU, terrific shot making all game. Made the threes in the first half. Didn't really make as many of those in the second half, but it was, you know, Alexis Morris making a bunch of mid-range jumpers in addition to defending Kaylin Clark. She was terrific in this one. Uh, So congrats to LSU. And to to tie this back, for our winners, Adam Bartz and Jonathan253, please be sure to either tweet or uh, send us at peltoncast at gmail.com uh, your addresses so we can eventually get you that exclusive Peltoncast Live merch as a reward for winning. If either of you will be at Peltoncast Live, tell us also because we'll have it there. Yeah. If not, we can drop it in the mail. Exactly. Ar- arriving on Friday. Uh, the other thing we should pause to acknowledge here is our April Fool's Day podcast last weekend. Or what? podcast, shall you I did say. an April Fool's Day podcast? I, I did. <laughs> I mean, it's weird because I, 
I totally think at least two of those four podcasts are completely viable. And I, I think never after 10.30 a.m. will continue as a recurring segment within Talk and Taco Time since it includes the Talk and Taco Time crew. At the very least, we need a callback to try the sausage burritos for those of us who haven't had them or the uh, so McGriddles for those who you haven't. Know. I thought this was like a base item that everybody... To me, it's like egg McMuffin and sausage burrito. They're like maybe the most iconic fast food items. I mean, I definitely had it as a kid. I remember having it as a kid, but it has been a very long time since I've had it. So I might do that later this week, though. Hell yeah. I can't wait. Don't tell me about it. Save it. Oh, of course I will. Save it for the pod. And the Costco pod. We no one now no one has emailed us or tweeted us any snakes for Costco. So that's a huge disappointment. That was nobody's that was the, that was the loss. Well, if you have it, the good news is it's not really time sensitive. The uh, those April Fool's Day's podcasts, you, you can definitely go, reject you still go high check them out. High podcast. Did you see the pool? They flipped the bitch. <laughs> you know, I would have done that if you had suggested it. <laughs> Just for the name. <laughs> I feel like it's a little unwieldy. I feel like the name is just they flipped the bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, coming back. I I'm well aware on HBO Max. We'll see where might even be a familiar rock band from Tacoma, Washington in it. Oh wow, that's it. Now that's a a big bit of news to drop. I toast to that. Uh, with that, should we get to donuts? We have reached the knockout stages of our search for Seattle's best donut. And I know the bracket is so simple and easy for everyone at home to Very understand. Clear. One of the and clearest brackets I've ever seen. To help us decide this week between our first two uh, competitors in the knockout stages, Chuck's Donut, Donut and King Donuts, we welcome back to the pod for the first time oh, in entirely too long, the three-time Pelican <sighs> Cast MVP, the famous cousin Gator. I wish I could say it's good to be back. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. No, uh, it, 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 it's great to be back. Thanks She's for having me. Boycotting the pod for almost two years here. <laughs> yes, for unknown reasons. <laughs> the, the, you won Pelton Cast MVP for 2022 without appearing on a single Pelton Cast in mm-hmm. calendar year 2022. Is that right? Which you didn't win last year. No. Who won no. last year? Um. I can't remember. Awkward pause. <laughs> Awkward pause had its strongest run in two thousand. Inanimate Rod won last year. <laughs> uh, Katie, can you tell us a little bit about your donut credentials? Oh, um, let's see. Well, uh, I've been eating donuts since uh, I was a young child. Um, oh. Uh, I've eaten the best donuts in the Washington state. And those wow. are the spud spud nuts. Wow. Did, okay. did you guys already talk about that? No. Spud nuts in Tri-Cities, Washington. We we did talk about offline that we needed to talk about the spud nuts on this episode with you. And I did a little research. Wow. Oh, okay. We were unclear. The record was unclear whether we've ever spoken about spud nuts on the podcast before, because of course they have a very personal tie. Which is that Spud Nuts were created by brothers Al and Bob Pelton. Wait, what? <laughs> the original famous Pelton brothers. They invented. We... Yeah, this is. Did we, did we know this true. before, or you just figured this out? Uh, I learned it a few years ago when oh. 
Uh, your parents brought spud nuts when I was over for the Columbia Cup when we were over there. And I looked at looked them up online and discovered this story on Wikipedia. Uh, the Al and Bob Pelton ate potato-based donuts in Germany, wanted to create their own version, and came up with a dry potato mix that they then used the recipe to franchise. And according to Wikipedia, which you know we'll, I have not fact-checked this, at, at one point they were the largest donut franchise in the U.S., Wow, three hundred franchises. About you should reach dozen. out to them. Well, I, I I think Alan Bob Pelton may have long passed away at this point. <laughs> They're the fabulous deceased Pelton brothers. <laughs> I get bad again. Don't want to don't want to send them to the grave. But this was a very long time ago that they came a up miss, with this concept. Late fifties. Cross pod marketing <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> Do you think they also have a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> Maybe there's a Spud Nuts podcast out there. I didn't see one. So about three dozen of them still exist, including soon on the All Takes Network, the Spud Nut Shop <laughs> in Richland, which does both cake and raised donuts, and recently celebrated its 75th anniversary. Wow! Until last month, uh, just last month, the Tri Cities Herald reported that uh, owners Val and Do- Douglas Driver are selling the store to other local owners. Val took over okay, the store from her father and uncle and has been working there for 53 years. Quality's going to go down. <laughs> Truly, a full of donuts. So, you think these are, are Washington State's best donuts? Uh, that might have been a bit of hyperbole just because <laughs> I have no actual uh, donut qualifications, but uh, they are very delicious. The potato flour makes it unlike anything, any other donut that you can get. So, it, I, Except I feel like the defining feature of Spud Nuts is that they, they don't taste that different from donuts, which is amazing. Like you would not know, but the, the texture, I think the consistency is it is a good one. I think that's you know nuts, it's delicious. They are delicious, yes. Nuts, you may not know it's potato flour, but what? you know it's delicious. Yeah, I think that, so. I think Katie was outraged when Kevin said they taste like donuts, and Kevin immediately started sweating. He's <laughs> <laughs> drinking a lot of water now. He's got to hydrate after that. That's why Katie is the three-time MVP. <laughs> She came in, your Allsburg cheese in hand, ready to go on this <laughs> podcast. Katie, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You didn't hear because you're famously not a fan of listening to the podcast. Oh, but we gosh. talked about the origin of, <laughs> of the fabulous Pelton brothers. And I gave you credit for coming up with that name. Do you remember this? No, I, 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 also, I don't remember anything. That's, you know, I don't, that's why I can't was, be on the podcast. No memory. Probably. Oh, you don't need a memory to be on this podcast. You just give takes <laughs> um, <laughs> with no memory. Of totally uninformed. Were. <laughs> I don't know if it would the- have been circa like 2003 that this happened. Do you think you were aware of the movie The Fabulous Baker Boys in 2003? Are you aware <laughs> of that movie not. now? <laughs> no. Kevin traced it back. He did the fucking like. <laughs> 23 and me of the name fabulous pelton cast and he came back with that i i am convinced that you had the idea initially and he traced it back to the movie the fabulous baker boys somehow what using like aim chats or something aol and no, messenger how no would you trace this, this back that's, that's just my memory of it <laughs> oh okay that's just what probably was your it was in the air you know what i mean sometimes the, things get in the air in 2003 who do we think 
new The Fabulous Baker Boys movie. Baker you, Brothers, you Baker Boys. You must have heard it. You must have heard the name The Fabulous Baker Boys and then for some reason called us The Fabulous Pelton Boys and or Brothers. I mean, I clearly was aware of it to think that that's where the name originated. So maybe the fact that is, better what, Katie did, but what is our proof that this ties back? Because it's the same there year or something? No, no it's oh, not even okay. close to okay. the same year. No, there's there's nothing. Couldn't we have just said something like how you were fabulous because you're, you know, I thought it had something to do with Kyle for some reason. <laughs> the unfortunate Moffat child. Yeah, I thought there was like. <laughs> I think that was all uh, retro name though. The fabulous Pelton Brothers was definitely first. I, oh, I agree. Man. Before even the delightful Carasino children. You know, you should ask. Did you try asking Chris Carasino? We'll we'll have to check with him. He yeah, might know. He remembers the movie. The I don't think he was there for it though. No, I if think he remembers the people, true origin, I don't think it's this fabulous of Baker movie. cheese and salami, straight, <laughs> cutting it straight off the block of salami. That's the one thing. Do you ever get salami in the uh, brick anymore? No, no. First of all, you can't find it in the right size, you know, uh, salami anymore. They all sell the little tiny salamis, even at the fancy like Big John's, uh, not Big John's. Is it Big John's? John's PFI, uh, where they have all the Italian food imported. They don't. They don't. They still sell little tiny salami. You know. They don't sell the thick, the the thick ones. Anymore? I think they might have one. They might have one of the big, big ones. But I feel like the Sally Brothers we, might know the or the, the location <laughs> of some giant salami. They probably do. Twenty first Belltown Yacht Club. <laughs> they have some connections. Get the feeling the Bernie Boys is going to be mentioned. Oh, um, put that on the bingo card, Katie. We've already told Katie. We've told Katie this a lot to put it on the bingo card. <laughs> yeah, I, I got that. I got that written down somewhere. Okay, good. Should we talk about donuts? Uh, but wait, wait what was the brand? Do you think it was Gallo was the brand of salami that our grandparents used to get? I think it would had the green and red packaging, right? Didn't it? Yeah, I think a lot of like salami the, has like, green and red packaging. I know that's it doesn't really narrow it down, <laughs> yeah, but it was red, white, green for some reason. <laughs> but Dad it, it had that know. like strange texture of the the packaging. And yeah. then the salami would have the skin not... around it, right? And yeah. you'd slice it off. Oh my yeah. god! There's so really good. nothing better than that. Yeah, we weren't the, eating the... Italian cheese though. We we were eating. Jarlsberg. Where's Jarlsberg from? German. Uh, that's a German cheese. I'm pretty sure Jarlsberg is German. That makes sense. Yeah. Maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> but it's delicious. A delicious combination. Oh, wherever no, it's wrong. from. Maybe I'm wrong. Norwegian. I wanted oh, to. I I'll wanted to say it. you were wrong because I. I looked it up after the Great Jarlsberg incident, and uh, I <laughs> just leave that. <laughs> Don't explain it. I won't. No. <laughs> it's too private. The, the <laughs> too name, personal. The name is German. The 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 family that it was named after in Norway originated in Germany. So <laughs> I'm taking like this. Well, this all comes back to donuts. Because, because the maybe the Spud fabulous Pelton brothers that Katie was referring to was the founders of Spud Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> they are way more fabulous than you guys. Fair point. Or should we talk about this week's donuts? Sure. So we wanted to pit what we have deemed Seattle's two top, like kind of classic donuts against each other. King, a fixture, as we talked about when we reviewed them 
in the Rainier Beach neighborhood, uh, even though they've moved a couple of blocks away from the classic laundromat location that they were long at. Uh, I still drove by it. And it, is, it is not anything else at this point. It still has the <laughs> King Donuts branding on it. Uh, and I was going, did that as I was driving between King Donuts and Renton, where Tristan was picking up Chuck's Donut, which, as we know, has been existing for decades and decades in Renton and clearly Renton's best donut. Clearly. Oh. Okay. So we, they've already been crowned similar to how you have flower box, like tiny in the top corner of the bracket. Seattle's what? best donut is just like tiny flower box. Could you, have you guys already yeah, talked well, about that on the podcast? That that bracket because i'm very confused about it i don't know if i understand what's happening there so here's what i'm I'll trying to explain it's it. at the experimental college his course on it <laughs> <laughs> on reading the bracket Green, greendale community college uh under dean pelton so i'm thinking of it it's like a royal rumble and different donuts are entering the fray <laughs> at different times and whoever is the last donut standing <laughs> is crowned seattle's best donut Okay. Okay. Sorry. No, no. Take that back. Is Crown Seattle's, Seattle's best donut? Donuts. Good point. Fair point. <laughs> Seattle's best donut singular has already been crowned. It's already been crowned. It's like the international belt or whatever. All right. Do you want to talk about the donuts we got here? <sighs> what is the What is the most I... iconic iconic Renton food to you, Katie? Because to me, I was like, it's Chuck's Donuts. Uh, it's Ivers at the at the uh, 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 Coulon, and it's Doofers, and then that's it. <laughs> Doofers, Doofers, I've never a Shakey's, Shakey's oh, pizza, Shakey's maybe. Pizza, I don't know. That's an important one. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I say Chuck's. Like that's the only place in Renton. Well, not Renton, but but High, Renton Highlands that I recommend people go to like there's not that many really great places to eat right around us so that's the fourth avenue like... taco time is phenomenal <laughs> you don't necessarily need right. to travel to go to the fourth avenue taco <laughs> time that, that, that taco was the original 2.0. taco time that had hand rolled crisp burritos and they were delicious they were the best crisp burritos i've ever had in my entire life at that particular taco time but now Anyways. you wouldn't just rec recommend someone to go to the fourth avenue taco time that's like probably not just go to your uh, local so, taco like, time. Yeah, they're not, whatever. They're not as good. Like the Fairwood taco time that's right here. That's what I'd recommend. <laughs> no, I drive right by the Fairwood taco time. <laughs> Down the hill and back up another hill. Okay, Chuck's Donuts. Well, let, let's start with King. So I picked up a maple bar, a bacon maple bar uh, from King Donuts, a chocolate sprinkle, and then a maple glazed old-fashioned is what i got from there and you went to chuck's donut and got their iconic maple bar uh for a fairly direct head-to-head -head comparison a large sprinkle donut that we cut up and divvied up four ways and then also a bavarian cream that uh i think katie and i had i don't know if you had the bavarian cream tristan no okay uh, general thoughts on these donuts. Um, my thought on after tasting these donuts, start with Chuck's, is that if you're going there, you get the maple bar or the chocolate bar, and that's it. That's all you need to get there. 
Totally anything agree. else. Not worth extraordinarily it. Hard I mean, it's eat. fine. It's fine. It's fine. But I'm never going to eat anything other than a maple bar or a chocolate bar if you like chocolate, because the frosting on those is the best, the best frosting you can have on a donut. No, they do have the same frosting on the Bavarian cream. So I think that's in play as well. Okay. Yeah. I guess. I mean, maple bar is the best, though. I think one thing that stood out is I think King probably has a deeper uh. roster of quality donuts there. Like I didn't even get any of their filled donuts, which looked terrific. Uh, just because I, I didn't know necessarily at that point that we were going to be getting those from Chuck's. Uh, but, you know, if you're going, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think King is a little deeper, but that's not necessarily the place that is going to determine this. No, and then we, the other thing that was a little bit tough about the matchup is comparing the uh, bacon maple bar to a standard maple bar because it's just like a completely different taste adding that bacon in there. So it wasn't quite as easy to compare them head to head because normally I think if you just have a maple bar from a regular place compared to a Chuck's, you could be like, oh, that's just garbage. The one that's <laughs> the non-Chuck's option, just throw it away. But this time because it had bacon on it you're like oh this is interesting this is good this is kind of kind of nice different flavor you know so it made the comparison a little bit more challenging i think we have to compare those donut to donut though because it, it's not like we're looking for seattle's best plain maple bar right we're looking for seattle's best donut well, i am personally that just and that's fine and if, if you're looking for seattle's best plain maple bar or if you think that that donut is better than the other donut that's how you should judge it but there's not like a bacon maple option at Chuck's. So if the bacon maple option, if it tastes better as a bacon maple than as a right. Chuck's plain don't like maple bar, then that's a better donut or whatever. But so I don't think that I don't think that we should devalue it or give negative value or whatever to eat either one. We should be judging them donut to donut, even if they aren't the exact same donut. And we're also judging the locations as a whole, right? But if one location has the best donut, then that is the better donut location because you're not going there when you're going to go get Seattle's best, I'll say donuts plural, even even though we have a, a eliminated flower box because they only have one kind of donut, at the very least, Chuck's and King Donuts have multiple different styles. At the same time, if the maple bar is the best item at Chuck's, the menu is only as good as their best item. So... You just go there and you get that. That's it, period. It doesn't really matter to me if nothing else. Their old fashions don't look that amazing to me. I just wouldn't get an old fashioned at Chuck's Donuts, and that's fine. Yeah, I mean, one of my concerns is, you know, when we recommend these places to people that I want to make sure they have a good experience, even if they're not necessarily someone that has a maple bar. So I, I do think that factors into play. But Tristan, are you basically saying that's your your pick here? Absolutely not. Okay. I am not saying that. That's my well, pick. Well, why don't well, you also, I think at the same time, there's a little bit of the like education piece of it as well, right? When we started talking Taco Time, a lot of people hit us up weekly to say, "What is the order at Taco Time?" If you just say "Go to Taco Time," you can be led very astray on the Taco <laughs> Time menu, right? Yes. Can you? I don't know it's about a astray. Menu. But you don't agree with this, Katie? What would be astray? What would you eat there that was really terrible? If you had like a just a crispy taco, it'd be like you can't really tell the difference between taco time and anything else. 
Okay, I guess I guess I see your point. You don't want to be wasting your your Or food if someone personally, order there on I, something you could get anywhere else. there's a famous story that talking Taco Time Coast, Chris Smith, like had a friend who went there, ordered like a strange item, and it was just like Taco Time sucks. Because if you don't know what you're getting in a place, if you go to Chuck's Donuts and you just have their old fashioned and you never have the maple bar, you'd be like, what is this? But after eating these donut to donut, right, head to head, I think that. The way, the way that you bite down on a Chuck's Donut, right? It is such a perfectly crafted item. It has the little, like, there's a little crunch on it. It's cooked. Oh, man, I'm almost changing my I'm almost changing my perspective right here. It's cooked so perfectly. You know what I mean? The King's Donut, we talked about this the first time. They're a little bit too soft. And the perfect donut, you want to be able to bite down on the bread part just a little bit. You want it to be soft, but you want to be able to bite down just a little bit and chucks has that perfectly the frosting is elegant but for me when we were there this morning and there is an extra half of one chucks donut and an extra half of one king donut i personally wanted the king donut and though i may ride for renton washington in every single situation i have to come back to where i was born and raised in in the south side of seattle and this time being that experience my vote is for king donut This is wild because I feel like I have the, almost exactly the opposite perspective of you. Where I came into this sort of expecting to vote for King, especially after, you know, we were talking on the phone and you were telling me that, you know, you, you only felt like a certain number of donuts at, at Chuck's looked good enough to be purchased for the search. And I had just been at King and it's like, this entire case looks great to me. Give me one of everything. Uh, but then I had the Chuck's maple bar and that there's something about that frosting. I don't know what it is. It is just delicious frosting and unlike anything else. And I thought that the difference maple bar to maple bar was slightly bigger than the difference sprinkle to sprinkle. And I thought the Bavarian cream from, from Chuck's was really good as well. As a result, I narrowly went with Chuck's hair. So that leaves Katie. Wow. Deciding wow. Vote. Wow. Oh, wow. This is tough just because all the things that you guys have talked about, it's like I, if I was going to recommend to someone a donut place and they had a variety of different tastes, I would say King Donuts because they're uh, very good, a good variety. Everything we had tasted today was great. Uh, the Whatever they fry them in, it has a good fry taste, uh, good consistency. Um but if I asked the person, I had, you know, insight into what they liked and could say, do you like maple bars? Then I would say, go to Chuck's uh, because you're going to get something there that you're not going to get anywhere else in the maple bar. Um, so it's it's very, very difficult um, for me personally. It's 100 percent Chuck's. Um, I would go there over King any time, but I really like maple bars just inherently so i don't know that's kind of an unfair advantage it's it's a very tough tough call for me i, I mean, feel like i'm a little biased on this one i think the thing i would say here is though you know like if you're telling someone to travel to a specific donut shop i think it's probably less about the i'm getting a box of 12 different types to bring into work like that's that's a different experience than i'm going there to try a specific donut that i can't get close to me 
And that's, I think, part, part of what tipped it to Chucks for me. Okay, Katie. I, I think we heard your vote, but... It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's Chucks. It's Chucks. It had to be. All the way. All the time. Even though they Tristan cast the dissenting vote, he seems happy about this outcome. <laughs> I'm fine. I, they're, it's really, really close. So Crown, Seattle's old, old school, best old school donut or donut <laughs> Chuck's Donuts in Renton, Washington a huge victory for the city of Renton it now gets into the ring with who will it be <laughs> facing off against next so it's going to be a very different matchup next week enter, enter the, the new school Donuts from uh, Capitol Hill and the Central District in this case is next week Chuck's will be taking on raised donuts and cakes in half and half in a three donut battle from which only one donut can emerge. Wow. The NWO. <laughs> Wasn't there some sort of merger in wrestling this week? Are you guys going to cover that? Uh, did that actually affect the wrestling or is it just the corporate entities? I don't know. You just saw headline. Yeah, I saw I headline. It, I believe it involved Ari Emanuel, didn't it? <laughs> oh, Endeavor, yes. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's the kind of MVP gob we've come to count on <laughs> from Katie. Katie's going to win the fucking MVP again because of this. I'm out there fucking scoring 81 a night, and Katie's going to win the MVP for being on one time. Four podcasts last weekend. Nope. Katie did. I will say Katie was the MVP of those podcasts, though. Oh, the logos. All the logos. Top for notch. And going to be the I MVP. Got, I- I gotta listen to these uh, podcasts. I'm very excited for them. So after all that work I spent on the on the logos, I, I'm excited <laughs> to listen to week after week of these podcasts. Uh huh. <laughs> we already explained We're the joke. Five days pop. a week of them. <laughs> I know that. I know. <laughs> it's a daily podcast, like no guns. <laughs> every every single morning, covering Ivers. <laughs> Well, I thought, no, we'd rotate through the different concepts each day of the week, right? Each one, every day. So so there are some weeks where we're hitting the Ivers pod and the Macklemore pod two times a week. <laughs> <laughs> New Macklemore news. And then Pelton Cast Live, you'll be there April 21st at Belltown Yacht Club, Katie. Of course. Uh, as always, uh, leading the way with Pelton Cast Bingo when we're there. Um, yes. If you, anybody has any good ideas to put on. Wait, no. Yes. No, you can't do that. Yeah. If yeah, anybody has any good ideas. Order. It's not like they're bringing their cards from home. They're, they're I, allowed I did, to, I to think... <laughs> Do I need to explain how bingo works to you? Because I explained how Spotify works to Kevin on one of those podcasts. <laughs> Nobody commented on it. Not a single really? person was like midway through the Magamore podcast. You explain shuffle mode on Spotify to ESPN's Kevin Felton. Wait, Which, Kevin didn't know what shuffle mode was? I knew what shuffle mode is. He struggled. He struggled with it. <laughs> I forgot that when I was on the app, I did not have to use it anymore. <laughs> but in in the car, you are limited to shuffle mode. That is the only option. There's no on way Android that, that is true. It is 100% no. true. There's just literally no, no way that in your I'm... car they demand shuffle mode. You think yes. that the, the, the Spotify on the in the in-car app is wildly different from any other Spotify experience. You can't search. 
It's like a very limited. Can you thing. click like exit car mode? I don't. I don't know. I mean, then I would. Then I would lose Google Maps, though. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to check into this. It's this 2023, like... and you can't figure out Spotify. <laughs> the Jarlsberg incident. <laughs> have you you seen about the Asian street food market on social media, Katie? No. No idea. Like it. So it's located, it's not, I, I was a little confused because like it says online it's in Westlake Center. But it, so I thought like, did they take out the food court and replace it with, with this? Which they did not. It's a separate location in the same building that houses Westlake Center that you have to enter it from the street level. Um, and, and that also means that, uh, Xi'an noodles is still going strong in the Westlake center food court, which is a, a great play in its own right, but it's meant to Did evoke... I know that Xi'an noodles was in the Westlake food court. I'm sure I've mentioned it on the pod. Cause I've been, it's there like previously. a Sabaro and then a Xi'an noodles right next to it. <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> Pretty close. That food court is wild nowadays. I mean, all of Westlake is like a ghost town. I feel like. Um, well, this location isn't. So they've it, it's meant to evoke like a night market in Southeast Asia where you have all sorts of different food stands around there. Uh, in that case, like you can have, I think there's a Michelin starred night market location, if I recall correctly. Like it's that kind of destination uh, in many places. And th this sadly is not, not quite at that level, but it's oh. some food, you know, that is not available, I think, almost anywhere else in, within the city of Seattle, including the, one of the reasons I wanted to go was recently on Top Chef Buddha cooked Hainanese chicken, uh, which is very similar to what they serve at uh, Nong's Khao Man Gai in Portland. So I wanted to try that after he did that on Top Chef and uh, had that. I also had a Burmese curry there that I, I thought that was actually much more of a standout. If you want the Hainanese style of chicken, I think you probably got to stick with Nong's and head down to Portland is the, the better play here than to go to the street market. But you know, I think what stood out is, uh, again, the, the ambiance is really cool. There's a vert like 10, eight or 10 different stands in there. So you can get a variety of different options if you want to eat something different than, you know, the other people you're eating with. Uh, definitely worth checking out. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So it's like in on like the bottom floor of Westlake? It's like a separate, it's it's disconnected entirely from the rest of the interior of Westlake, but it's in the same building. I don't know. The, does it does it feel good in there or do you feel like you're under like fluorescent lights? It It, it does feel like... Obviously, I mean, it's not exactly like being in a night market, but it's got that vibe. That's pretty awesome. They did a really good job with the building, I would say. I wanted to ask if you'd seen the Little Woody's Burger of the Week this week. I have seen the Little Woody's Burger of the Week this week. Katie, have you seen this? No, nope, seen nothing. It's like a sub sandwich Burger of the Week. It's on a long bun where the dude who does it, it's like Sasquatch themed, right? And he specializes in hot dogs, typically. I think it's pop-ups only. And they're doing it with a burger. It is the, to me, it is the most interesting burger of the week since Enum Claus. Wait, is it a triple-double? No, not like that at all. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's long. Well, it's like a sub-sandwich, kind of? It's like a sub-sandwich. I am like, this looks fucking incredible to me. And then I saw the Bigfoot longs, and I was like, I am so incredibly in on this, of making, like sub sandwich style there's hot dogs and things they have a seattle sasquatch that they do does that have like cream cheese 
or something? I assume it does. Yes. Seattle Sasquatch, house-baked footlong brioche bun, onion jam, farmer's cheese, jalapeno red- relish, Olympia provisions footlong. That sounds good. But seeing that as a burger, I feel like it's unlike anything that I've ever seen before. I mean, it's still got beef patties. It's like, it's, it's basically, li- it's kind of like crystal with similar sliders. Why am I not? White, White Castle? Castle? Yeah. It, it Wait, is, I how guess. is this like what? So not like divided up into individual sliders, but the buns are that size and you've got burgers. So that's basically, I think, kind of what the vibe is here. Marcus commented, this the one. And I was like, I kind of feel that. (laughs) I was pretty, again, I don't don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to get to a little Woody's for this one. I may have to do it tomorrow for lunch since I have no specific plans. The story of ESPN's Kevin Pelton's life. All right, Katie, we'll let you go before we start talking Mariners. <laughs> oh, thank God. CS Rice. All right. <laughs> Hashtag, you don't even care about the Italian players? There's two. There's three on the team now? Yes. Oh, really? Oh, we'll God, I have long. to start watching the goddamn Mariners? There were two <sighs> last year. I don't know if you, you managed to go the entire playoff season without knowing that there were two Italian players. <laughs> I'm still very mad at the Mariners. I can't get over it. For what? The Sonic stuff? Yes. It's fair. But Macklemore says we're getting a team back, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> did you listen to the record? He broke the news on I it. did. I heard that, yes. A little suspect, but if he can do it, I mean. Uh, who is the third Italian player that we traded for? Listella. Oh, Tommy Listella? He'll come up later. Now that's a good name right there. That's a good name. Tommy Listella? Yes. The name is the only thing, good thing about it. Oh, yeah. You gotta... <laughs> no, the beard is awesome, too. <laughs> okay, fine. Name and beard. He excels at name and beard baseball. It's <sighs> unfortunate. Well, you have to cheer for the Mariners now because you know that there are three Italians on the team. I, I'd be like Grandpa cheering for uh, Chris Bazio. Right? Is he Italian? Do we confirm Chris Bazio is Italian? He did look like Mario, right? So wait, is Bazio not actually Italian? I swear I'm to sure God, we is. would go over to Grandma, Grandma and Grandpa's and it would be like we'd be watching an afternoon game and Bazio would be pitching and Grandpa would always be upset or happy depending on how Bazio did. Okay, so I, according to uh, the internet, <laughs> oh, no. a series of baseball cards from 2002 apparently? Uh, Italian-American baseball heroes and part of this set <laughs> is Chris Bazio. There, oh, we, there go. we go. Viva Italia. <laughs> okay, we also do have uh, this quote from a story about Chris Basio in 1993 during his first spring training with the Mariners. Uh, I, I'm Italian. My parents are old-fashioned. We hug and kiss a lot. We communicate. So there you go. Oh, you know there was, the gestures were flying in that household. <laughs> <laughs> but he never celebrated gesture. with the Italian he had gestures in the same way that Matt Festa does. So <laughs> they needed the WBC back then. That Italian team would have actually been pretty strong in the nineties. <laughs> so Katie, you could forget you could forgive the Mariners now because they have three okay. Italian players on the team, plus a long lineage of Italian base coaches and uh pitchers. All right, maybe I'll maybe I'll give it a go this year. All right, well, on that note, thanks for joining us, Katie. Thanks for having me.
Uh, let's get into sports. And that means it's time for your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. Hey, Mariners. Nice offseason you had there. Sure would be a shame if literally everyone were to screw it all up within the first week. Or Sorry, I, I rewrote this tonight. Hey, Pelton cast. Nice takes you got there. Sure would be a shame if Teoscar and AJ Pollock were to screw those up literally in one game. But no, honestly, tonight's game and the start of the season had me thinking of what you said this offseason in your shameful defense of the Mariners ownership group. That Julio is the timeline. Somehow to you, this meant that the Mariners shouldn't spend money during Julio's prime. But these first six games of the season have firmly proven that that is the case with how Julio is playing. But I go a complete opposite way. You only get so many seasons of Julio Rodriguez in his prime. And if it were me, I'd want to surround Julio Rodriguez with as many good players as I possibly can for that prime. Nothing is for certain. Nothing is forever. And I wouldn't count on Julio carrying the team alone as an all-star player. Instead, I'd want to maximize that prime with wins more than I would with net profits. You can look around the league and nice offseason you had there, Mariners. Be a shame if Trey Turner were hitting 391 with two triples already. But no, Kevin Pelton doesn't want him. And when it works well, it works really well as we saw tonight with this team. But that's why you can't go into one of the few seasons you have of Julio's prime with Cooper fucking Hummel and Tommy LaStella DHing. It's a prayer. Truly, even if Teoscar and Colton Wong had good starts to the 23 season, they're giving up completely on one of the most important positions for some sort of promised idea of some sort of tenuous future spending. And until Shohei is a Mariner... They have shown that they're willing to waste a season of another young superstar, just like they did with Ken Griffey Jr., just like they did with A-Rod, just like they did with Felix, just like they did with Ichiro. This is the same old Mariners with what they are doing right now to Julio Rodriguez and Luis Castillo, we've seen it over and over and over again for the past 30 years. And with six games as evidence, we know that it's happening again in 23. I mean, the six games is evidence is a big piece of this year, obviously. You know, that's the point of uh, M's hot takes is to overreact to whatever has happened. And look, the newcomers could not possibly have started worse before Tuesday's game. Teoscar Hernandez, Colton Wong, Tommy Lestella. Cooper Hummel and AJ Pollock were combined three of 50 until they hit more. The broadcast home... wanted to make really sure that we knew they were just getting used to the ballpark. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Real. Is it like the, the baseball is different here? Like, <laughs> Oscar hit that home run. They were like, yeah, I had a few days to get used to the ballpark. <laughs> I'm just like, dog. It's like every road game. You need 20 at bats before you can get a hit. They hit more home runs. There was they were saying, by the way, that who is the member of the Angels? Was it David Fletcher who has more home runs at T-Mobile Park than he does at <laughs> whatever they're calling right. Anaheim Stadium now? Uh, but they had more home runs on Tuesday combined to the newcomers between Hernandez and AJ Pollock than they had hits coming into the game. The other amazing stat coming into this was that that group had combined for fewer hits than Jesse Winker alone had had this season. 
Oh, is he hitting well? He started four of 11. I mean, you know. He's doing fine. The thing is, I looked up Mitch Haniger and I was like, how is Mitch Haniger doing right now? Because they basically flipped Teoscar for, and he hasn't played a game. So it's like, I mean, look, I don't think the problem was the Teoscar Hernandez you trade or even the, the problem Long was trade. not signing anybody else, though. And it's just like this idea of Shohei lingering. And I'm sure that the Mariners think that they're going to be in on Shohei for next year. And that's nice, but it's kind of like, you sure about that? You sure it, about that? That's what's going to happen? You're going to sign Shohei Otani? If they're not good this year, I agree. But it also doesn't help their chances if they're not willing to outpay literally every team that we know is going to pay more. Well, again, the point is the point of keeping the powder dry is that you have that ability to outspend the other teams. I don't think there were teams that spent money this offseason that I still think will be interested in the idea of signing Shohei next year. Of course they will. Of course they will. It's going to be the biggest contract in the history of baseball. No one's disputing that. That is signed. And I, again, We'll see, but like the idea that the Mariners would be the team who would sign the biggest contract in the history of baseball, I am highly, highly skeptical of. I mean, if they again, do sign Shohei, I rescind every take forever. Oh man, <laughs> I like we're gonna have to have a takes amnesty. I think is what we would have to have if that happens. So uh, also, he's on the Angels, and I. Still fucking love watching Shohei play. Oh, it's of like, course. It's kind of absurd. After the WBC, I'm just like, I don't even, like, I liked him before, but I'm like, this dude is absurd. I mean, the other storyline of the first part of the season was it felt like every Mariners fly ball was dying at the warning track. And then he comes up and just dead center, <laughs> like, goes goes deep into the stands in center right field. Like, just truly incredible stuff from Shohei. <laughs> I... Again, my my defense was of them not signing the 10-year contracts. It was not related to them not signing a shorter-term contract with players lower on the market because I agree that having Tommy Lestella as your opening day DH is just a failure as an organization. But the 10-year contracts are the norm in the marketplace. But they're, it's not every single player that is of any use is getting those. A.J. Pollock is an example of a guy who has, thankfully, he's been playing left field the last couple of games. I think, I don't know if he DH'd at any point. Uh, but, like, as an example of a guy who got a smaller, shorter contract, but is still more useful than Tommy Lestella, who is making the major league minimum because of the fact that he was waived by his previous team. I don't even, I don't understand how they keep, I would rather have Harry Ford be there, right? I understand I, that they have to ma- manipulate his service time. But, like, to me, I'm just like, Harry Ford clearly proved that he can hit against Major League Pitching. I would be way more down with that, just fucking trying it out for a while, than Tommy LaStella at that spot. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not going to speak to Harry Ford's readiness at this point. At some point, you have to spend money, and that is, and it, it can't just be spending that money to buy out arbitration years, right? Because ultimately, Julio is, in the end... He's getting fair market value because you know that players get swindled for the they're manipulated for the first how many years is it arbitration? Uh before you hit it. I believe it's six years until you become a free agent, but I I could be wrong on that. So like you know, 
baseball players in the end, because of no salary cap, it gets made up for. But like those first six years, you get completely taken advantage of. And that's why the team has so much leverage during that time period. It's not like they're breaking the bank for Julio, though. Yes. I mean, they are paying Julio. One thing they're doing is they're paying Julio a little bit more now in order to pay him less when he's older. But I do agree with your point. Like, I was watching him tonight, and it feels like just every... It, it's not true, obviously, but it feels like every time he's come up lately, he's been on base during the Anaheim series. And I I did think that if Julio is the timeline, the timeline might have accelerated at this point. And if Luis Castillo is the timeline, then the timeline really accelerated in that scenario. The, so I, I will concede those arguments. Is now. This is the timeline. Our last Robbie Ray's timeline is at least 15 days after he completed his start, but uh, suffered a flexor strain uh, while struggling in game two of the season. Scott Service said an MRI revealed on Saturday revealed a grade one strain and elaborated. He's going to be shut down for a couple weeks, then he'll build up and hopefully be good to go after that. But already is of when, that, when Ray's turn comes up, which I believe is Wednesday. The Mariners will have had more games in their starting rotation lost to injury than all of 2022. Well, uh, Chris Flexen versus Shohei Otani. Oh, no. You like that one for your first day game of the year? <gasps> I considered going to that one, but uh, couldn't fit it in my suit. We should talk about it. Thanks to the listeners, Zach Jabal, third Pelton brothers, Zach Jabal, for inviting us out to opening night. The fabulous Pelton cast were there. For a while, it felt like we were the good luck charm. They it was kind to... of incredible. Turns out, turns out in hindsight, Luis Castillo was the good luck charm. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of incredible how quickly I went from being like that night. It was it, it was packed. Everybody was excited. The Mariners have this big victory. Luis is awesome. Things felt re- really great. Like, it was like Rick Riz they... and Dave Sims were talking while I was in line to get in the doors about going to the World Series. It was just like the hype was out of hand. They saw Tommy LaStella at DH, and they were like, is this a World Series team? <laughs> That's uh, that, that meme. Uh, you looked at that and said, no holes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I expected them to play Tommy LaStella. It was like, if Tommy LaStella, I would rather than fucking DH Haggerty. I, I agree with that assessment, although our guy Haggerty has had like a bunch of line drives right at people. That's fine. I was going to say like... hard hit balls, hard yeah. hit balls. That's all I'm looking for. Then finally got thrown out trying to stretch a single into a double tonight. Oh, he was safe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I want to talk about the the T-Mobile experience on opening night. So I was trying to get there early so that I could get Moto Pizza because I think we talked about this on the pod. It's we did actually, not, actually. We did not. Okay, so Moto Pizza, like one of Seattle's hottest pizza places, like... You have to make reservations Seattle's to get pizza places, Moto Pizza, to get their pizza two months in advance. So I wanted to try and get. They're going to be in the stadium this year. I wanted to try and get it. It was like I'm. I've got. I'm going to opening night. This is the time. Uh, I waited in line. I got in there. I went to where Eater in the Seattle Times had said the Moto Pizza was going to be in section 109. And I was like, I don't see Moto Pizza. And then I did an entire lap around the entire 100 level. And I was like, I still don't see it. And it was only then that I noticed on Instagram that Moto Pizza had mentioned oh. coming May to T-Mobile Park. Sydney Applebaum. So 
Uh, what, but instead what Zach and I ended up getting and what you had half of Zach's was the ham swayerty sandwich from the walk-off markets, which are located on either side of home plate. We found it at the one on the first base side, unclear whether it's at the one on the third base side and the ham swaggerty quality sandwich, a nice utility sandwich to fill in multiple <laughs> needs for you. There we go. It was great. I, uh, it was awesome. I, again, being at the ballpark was awesome. It felt the Mariners are, are, I will say the Mariners are bad at almost everything on the field and they're quite good at almost everything off the field. Like they are, they are a more dialed in having gone to a lot of Seahawks games, the whole fan experience aspect of it, the getting into the game, the flow of traffic at the game. It's a lot better at the formerly Safeco field than it is at the formerly quest field. No. <laughs> it's uh, probably a lot of things that one Seahawks stadium, uh, century link. But the the experience of being at T-Mobile Park, like it it is it is a much more fan friendly experience. I get it; they're there for you know eight times as many games, and the team has been really bad for the last twenty years, so they had to figure it out. I mean, the math has changed a little bit. How many times longer do you think the baseball season? I guess you're counting preseason games. Is that yeah, what you're ten, saying? Ten, okay. ten Seahawks games and eighty okay. Mariners games. I don't count playoff games for the Mariners. <laughs> I'm saying eight, but a lot 80. more of those. I think you actually could add it up, and it equals as many to a Mariners regular season. Um, the, the Seahawks have hosted playoff games. I mean, the interesting but, question is: since baseball series are long as long as they are, who's played more playoff games all time, the Seahawks or the Mariners? It's still got to be the Mariners, right? Absolutely. Oh, total games of playoffs or home games? Uh yeah, I bet home the Seahawks games have played probably... more home games. I don't think that can possibly be true because 95, they played six, right? Like that's a lot right in one year. Did they play six? Yeah. Cause they hosted game one of the ALCS. Oh, and the game five of the DS. Correct. No. Oh yeah. Three and three. Okay. And then one in 97, right? Two. Oh, and they lost both of them, right? Yes. Uh, no, I think they split and lost both in Baltimore to lose in four in that one. This has I'm been us named Mariners playoff series from the 90s. There aren't that many. Let's remember some playoff series. Right? And then they make the playoffs in... 2000 to 2001. 2000. Okay, 2000, I don't remember. I literally do not know what happened in 2000. Well, they, they won. They reached the ALCS. Then they lost to the Yankees. The Mariners in two thousand in two thousand or two thousand one. Yes. Oh one, they made the LCS. In both two thousand and two thousand one, they both times made the ALCS and lost to the Yankees. It's it's famously lost to the Yankees. The Mariners made the ALCS twice, <laughs> three times, including ninety five. The one time they did not lose to the Yankees. Once they got there, I have I, no idea. I still think this is too many home playoff games. All right, you were gone, no. but 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 the fan experience is great. It was awesome being there, and it was shocking how quickly I went from feeling great about the team. Right, Ty France is giving Luis Castillo shit after the game. You're just like the Mariners are in. They are in midseason form. Last season picked up, and we are we are riding it. We are riding the wave. And if you remember uh, 
the, the 2013 Seahawks, right? When they picked it up and were en route to the Super Bowl, like, you could just feel it right away. I think that team started out 6-0. Oh, yeah, that was the comeback against Houston. And the Mariners, if I'm doing my math correctly, did not. Oh, and it no, was incredible how quickly I went from being so in on this team to hating them completely. Like it, it is just, it is like a pendulum that swings the Seattle Mariners baseball club back and forth. Yeah. I mean, that's what the hot takes are all about, right? One day though, for one day until they face Shohei Otani tomorrow. <laughs> things are good. <laughs> things are good. Uh, the Mariners. The Mariners appears to have hosted 18 home playoff games all time. I don't know that the Seahawks even played 18 playoff games. Like, there's just so many. The ratio is just way too high for it to work out. All right, the Seahawks have played a lot more. They uh, have hosted, they've played 36 games. But I'm not sure if, how many of those are at home. So let me continue doing this, Matt. Do you want to fill here? I'll look this up. You keep talking about what's next. It's not going to take me that long. 15. 15 home playoff games for the Seahawks. It's close. It is close. Closer than it has any right to be. Let's put it that way. All right, let's get into the roundup, starting with the Kraken, who took two of three at home, sandwiching a 4-1 win over Anaheim and an 8-1 blowout of Arizona around a 3-1 loss to the Kings before a 5-2 win at Vancouver on Tuesday night just about assures them a playoff spot. The most points any team currently outside the top eight can get to is 96 for Nashville. The Kraken are at 94 with five games to play and hold the two-team tiebreaker after splitting uh, two games with the Predators in Nashville with an overtime loss last week. Uh, Kraken back home to host Arizona again on Thursday in Chicago this week before traveling to the desert to face the Coyotes for a third time in an eight-day span, and then completing a back-to-back at Vegas. Watch out for whether those games against Arizona are ugly after the Coyotes' frustration boiled over late in their loss on Monday with plenty of fisticuffs between the two teams. Sounders scored twice in the first half en route to that 2-1 win Saturday at the LA Galaxy with Leo Chu again assisting Jordan Morris in the 21st minute. The fifth consecutive Sounders goal with those two combining... Leo Chu assisting Jordan Morris. Chu then snapped that streak by selfishly scoring his own goal in the oh. 35th minute. Not an own goal, his own goal. Uh, the Galaxy pulled one back in the 63rd minute, but the Sounders managed to hang on despite Selfish. conceding 28 shots, eight of them on goal, for their second consecutive road win, already one shy of their total in all of 2022. In this one, the Sounders stuck with Morris is the lone forward, bringing in Raul Ruiz Diaz off the bench after his return from international duty. Bear was an unused substitute in his return from injury. We're able to ease, going to be able to even some back in uh, the Sounders back home this Saturday for a showdown against the top team in MLS thus far. Expansion side, St. Louis City. City started... <laughs> 5 and 0 before losing 1 nothing at home to Minnesota United Literally, last week. You just made up a team. No, no, not true. I mean, it's kind of right actually. Now, that is you're MLS just like, expansion. It's, it's the, the MLS leading Albuquerque Stars. <laughs> Come 
squad. They nobody would name themselves the Stars anymore unless it happened to be their NASL name. You would come up with a much more European sounding something. Uh, St. Louis still leads MLS with 15 goals and a plus Don't 10 tell me goal a differential. Team in Cincinnati, right? <laughs> you bet there is the Cincinnati Cincinnati Skyline Chili's. Uh, Sounders second in that category, goal differential at plus nine. Per American Soccer Analysis. Uh, St. Louis has outperformed their expected goal differential more than any other team, though it's still fourth best in the league thus far. The Sounders second in that category behind LAFC, the reigning cup holders. Oh, well, rain best back for a road win Saturday at Gotham City, getting goals from Jess Fishlock in the 31st minute and Bethany Balser in the 62nd minute and allowing no shots on goal for a clean sheet that barely tested keeper Fallon Tullis Joyce and WSL taking this weekend off for an international break before the rain return home for their home opener. Let's move ahead to UW sports baseball. Huskies lost both ends of a Wow, They're on the header. rundown. They are. Yeah. Baseball. They were, they were has on last made week. The rundown. It's it's a little tenuous though. They can't keep losing series. They lost both ends of a Saturday doubleheader to Oregon State at home I'll before rallying. What's Oregon State? Come on, Oregon State not as good this year as we talked about. Before rallying to win seven two on Sunday, moving to five and four in conference play, they head to Arizona this weekend with a chance to move up against a team that is just three nine against Pac twelve opposition. So, how do series work in college baseball? Are they mostly They're- just the weekends? Yeah, there are three games. It's typically Friday through Sunday. The doubleheader was because of the fact that the game got rained out on Friday night. So you do you take Monday through Thursday off and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Occasionally teams will play an extra game during that span against a non conference foe, but the the weekend series are always over against Pac twelve foes are always over the weekend. This this weekend I think they get shifted. I'm not sure if this is the case in baseball, but I did notice it in softball. It's Thursday through Saturday because of Easter. Ah, got it. So speaking of UW softball, they could not do it on a sunny Saturday in Tempe. After winning the series opener 4-2 on Friday, the Huskies dropped the next two at Arizona State by 3-1 and 5-2 finals, slipping to 7-5 and in Pac-12 play and number 11 in the rankings, down two spots. You know, back home this weekend to host Cal in a suddenly important matchup. The Bears 6-5-1 and in conference play did not look up how a tie is possible. And uh, have climbed to tops among teams also receiving votes. You know, women's basketball saw their run to the Fab Four, the women's IT, (laughs) take an unfortunate turn last Wednesday. I'm sorry, we're just letting that sit that there was a tie in softball. (laughs) I don't don't know. It's a draw. (laughs) It sounds like a made-up stat. Do I have to go do the research on why Cal has a tie? Six, five, and one. In a sport that you famously cannot tie. <laughs> Apparently you can at the college level in, in softball. <laughs> it's just like, they're the first ever, they've, they really figured it out. Okay. It was a 5-5 tie at Oregon State on March 19th. Let's see what the recap has to no say one knows about why. this. It's better if there isn't a reason. Apparently, there's a drop-dead time for travel. Wow. They had to get on the flight. <laughs> Look, those midterms aren't going to take themselves. Seriously. Uh, oh, you know, baseball, let me, just, let me just throw this out there. I was, I was 
tenuously thinking of going to the Mariners game Friday, April 14th. Uh, I believe it is the uh, 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 playoff clinching big dumper bobblehead night. Okay. But then I saw that my, the center, you know, I'm only, if I'm buying tickets, center field or bust, right? You know me. That's where I love to be. Those tickets were sold out. Why don't we go see a better team? Oh. Friday, April 14th versus Arizona State. Tickets from $5. Tickets from $5 to $15 at the (laughs) most. There you go. You can see better baseball players comparatively. I will not be seeing any baseball players as it's the conclusion of the NBA's play-in tournament on Friday, April 14th. Okay, that weekend? The whole weekend? No, just that night. I mean, then the playoffs start the next day, yeah. Saturday? Uh, it's a Greek game. That seems fun. So, you know, women's basketball saw their run to the Fab Four. The women's NIT take a turn last Wednesday when they were non-competitive against host Kansas in the semifinals. The Huskies scored a season-low 36 points, trailed by 14 at halftime, en route to a 25-point defeat. Julia Daniels had 10 points, 13 rebounds, and 5 blocks, but the other UW players were a combined 10 of 50 from the field in the first road game they played in the women's NIT. Kansas went on to beat Columbia in the WNIT final, so congrats to the Jayhawks. It was the last UW game for starters Trinity Oliver and Haley Van Dyke, as well as reserves Emma Grothaus, Tarsi Reese, and T.T. Watkins, but still plenty of excitement after UW women's basketball got back to the postseason and returns, expects to return. You haven't seen anything on anyone transferring yet. Uh, three starters, including Daniels from this year's team. Uh, then Hannah, Hannah Steins and El Ladine, who uh, you know had terrific freshman seasons coming off the bench and another top recruiting class coming in. So a lot of excitement about what Tina Langley is building with the UW women's basketball program. That's awesome. You know, men's basketball transfer news, Keon Menefield Jr. no longer considering a return to UW. He announced he is headed to Arkansas. He's, he was considering a return to UW like Caitlin Clark is considering her sixth year at Iowa. Only fifth. Only fifth. The Huskies oh, did. Shit. Arkansas? Yeah. And they were like, a, they were pretty high seed in the tournament this year, weren't they? They were an eighth seed in the tournament, but they knocked off a number one and made the Sweet 16 before getting crushed by UConn, like everyone else that UConn played. So, Kim Pomeroy had it right on UConn, too. Yeah. I mean, they just were in the, they were in a tough bracket, and I picked UCLA. So, Craft Brew Day, Sunday, April 30th versus USC. <laughs> That's fun. $2 Tuesdays against Seattle U. They play a lot of Tuesday games against Seattle U. It's a, a limited travel. There's probably not a <laughs> drop dead time for travel if you're playing against you know, Seattle. You <laughs> maybe there is. So UConn ended up finishing number one overall in Ken Palm, which makes sense. But they were they were even before the tournament, like they were four seed, but they were in the top. They were number four, four or something. UCLA, I believe, was three in the pre-tournament rankings. I'm not sure about that, but and they were just in the same region. Or UCLA was two. So. Alas. Let's see where Arkansas was, huh? Still definitely in the double digits, not in the <laughs> triple digits. Oh, and, it's just it, so frustrating. It It is, I, I will say, like, players should be able to play wherever they want. It's college. They're not getting paid. They're not signing contracts, right? But 
damn it. <laughs> right? Be, it's okay to be disappointed that players don't want to play it. You're not. You just can't be mad at the players. I'm not I'm not disappointed that Keon Menefield doesn't want to play at UW. I'm disappointed that the UW program is what it is that makes Keon Menefield not want to play at UW. Sure. Exactly. It's not like the University of Washington is good enough as an institution or whatever that Keon Menefield should want to stay. Is he from Seattle? No. Not at all. Where is he from? The Michigan area. I believe he's from Flint. Yeah. One of the reasons that maybe you should try recruiting some players from the Northwest, but they just transfer here. It's a little difficult when you're dipping into those areas, right? Like when you're going, when you're looking nationally, the expectation is that a player doesn't have that much background. They're not going to come here and be like, oh, wow, I fell in love with the city of Seattle. I'm going to live there forever, right? This isn't the rainy or something. Like it's one season being at college basketball. And Keon Menefield is trying to get to the NBA. So he should be playing at a better school. Basketball-wise, Arkansas is a better school. Like, it's it's not Keon Menefield I'm mad about, at. Of course It not. is the Husky basketball program that is frustrating. Hey, do you know who coaches Arkansas? Who is that? Eric Musselman. Wait, really? Yeah. Who we probably could have hired? Probably could have hired. Did not have instead of Mike Hopkins. Admittedly, I did not want Eric Musselman as the Huskies head coach, but uh, why? I feel differently about that now. No shit, (laughs) you feel differently about that now. That's like, well, not necessarily because of the UW part of it, because of the fact that Musselman has shown that he can build a sustainable program at Arkansas. So it's not an easy school necessarily to win at either, right? I mean, yeah, no. They they have some history of success, but have a national championship. It's not like a perennial power in the same way. So Eric Musselman went from Nevada to Arkansas, correct? And was had had previously been an assistant coach at Arizona State, so he had some Pac-12 experience specifically. But also has been an NBA coach, right? Yep. Mike Hopkins ain't sniffing an NBA job. There's a pedigree to it that kids care about. Eric Musselman is famously always on TV in March, taking off his shirt to celebrate in Arkansas and CHA. Play in the NBA, is that right? No, no. His <laughs> Eric Musselman's like five six. He did not play in the NBA. Where, what is his background then? His his father was the head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, longtime NBA coach. Uh, okay, what's his name? Bill Musselman. Bill, I think I remember that. He was like straight up Fleer trading cards. Oh, no, he definitely Bill was Musselman, in. right? Uh, maybe a stadium club. Bill yeah, Bill Musselman definitely had some Bill Musselman cards back then. I wonder if they. I I don't know how many trading cards they make, but if they still make cards of coaches, that'd be kind of cool, I guess. Um, most coaches are former NBA players, so they have at some point. But so did Eric Musselman, when he got that job, was it the same year that the Huskies hired Mike Hopkins or was it the year after? I think it might have been the year after. I think he might have stuck it out one more year at at Nevada, but I'm not sure about that. Because if it's the same year and we're talking apples to apples, I'd choose the Arkansas job over the UW job. Understandably, yes. Uh, No, he didn't get that job until 2019. This, So. It's not on... 
Mike Hopkins. Mike Hopkins didn't make the decision to hire himself. This is they've done as an yeah. athletic department have made a lot of good hires. It, basketball, it's been a little questionable. Yes. In men's college basketball, it has been a little questionable. I mean, there's been some questionable hires in the women's college basketball side as well, but uh well, but we're doesn't look like right now. one of those, yeah. yes. No. Uh yeah, he it would have been relatively early, I guess, in the uh the Eric Musselman history to hire him. He he didn't change that. That was 2017. He spent two more years at Nevada, went to the Sweet 16 the next year. He'd only just made the NCAA tournament one time, but he uh, definitely was one it. of the names that was in the mix. And oh, he, yeah. like when, when Mike when Hopkins f- has made a lot of Sweet 16s too. So when they sense. first fired Romar, I thought Musselman was going to get the job. That was my expectation. So cool. There you go. Well, uh, I, I hope he has a great time playing for Eric Musselman. The and Huskies. Uh, oh. Little Rock? No, that's that's Where? you know what's there? The Capital? Ar- Arkansas Little Rock is actually there. Oh. Uh, Fayetteville. Fayetteville. Oh, Fayetteville is supposed to be pretty cool, too. Hmm. I heard. Yeah, we ride an Illuminati Hotties date through there. Everybody nice. Said, there you Fayetteville. go. Never ride another tour through there. But uh, everybody said Fayetteville is pretty cool right now. Yeah, there you go. Uh, let's. But the Huskies did add a transfer in addition there to officially go. losing Keon Menafield Jr. And that's Moses Wood from the University of Portland, the son of longtime NBA 19, 1990s NBA forward David Wood, who grew up in Vancouver, Washington, in what was news to me. Uh, you know, will be the fourth school for the sixth year senior who started his career at Tulane. Played one year there before transferring and playing one year at UNLV after sitting out a redshirt season. Then the last two at Portland, where he's emerged as a double-figure scorer, uh, a six-foot-eight forward who, in a shock to you, is known for his shooting. No, he hit a career-high three-point-one three-pointers per game at a forty-percent clip last season, forty-one percent career beyond the arc. And I got to say, you look at the numbers. A sizable upgrade on Cole Bashman, even when you account for the strength of like the level of competition in terms of overall efficiency, volume, rebounding, playmaking. This is a pretty good get for, for Mike Hopkins. And I will tell you what, his dad is a freaking skybox legend. Oh, he hundred percent is a skybox legend. That's true. I don't think he ever played for Bill Musselman, sadly. This is like upper deck skybox era. I was like, I don't think I've ever heard of this David Wood guy. And then I Googled David Wood basketball card. And you know what? I have seen him. I have seen this man in basketball card form. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So there you go. Uh, Yeah. So, so this is good. Uh, It's still a lot of work to be done for the Huskies, but getting a shooter on the, at forward is definitely a positive step. Cool. Well, right. you know, we'll always have that skybox with the rockets where the ball has has the trail behind it. Yep. Like it's a comet. Come on. Or like it's the puck on a Fox hockey broadcast in the in the mid 90s. They still do that shit? Okay. In, in the, the mid 90s. Okay. No, yeah, Fox is not say, currently broadcast. When they, when they were like, hockey's for everyone. People just can't find the puck. <laughs> It'll be as big as football. <laughs> is it not helpful? 
All right, let's wrap up with the Seahawks. Uh, a little bit of news. We got the details of Bobby Wagner's contract, which will count $5.5 million against the cap. That amount is guaranteed, plus an additional $1.5 million incentives for Wagner in his return to the Seahawks. Uh, the Seahawks last week rescinded the qualifying offer for restricted free agent Ryan Neal, making him unrestricted. And the report on Tuesday that he is headed, is going to sign to with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So this obviously comes pretty directly out of the Julian Love signing and the Seahawks depth at safety with that. And suddenly, you know, paying substantially more from than a minimum for the fourth safety became kind of untenable for the Seahawks. It's sad to see Ryan Neal go. Always loved Ryan Neal. Awesome player. You know, somebody who the Seahawks, I think, I, I from what we saw publicly, it seemed like the team didn't necessarily believe in him enough. But at some point, you can only spend so much money at safety. The Seahawks are probably spending more than any team in the league at safety at this point. I'm pretty sure they are. So when you factor in Ryan Neal as a fourth safety, it's just, it's too much. And look, good for Ryan Neal to get this opportunity in a situation where he might be able to play a lot more, I think, at Tampa Bay. I, I think Ryan, Ryan Neal is awesome. He's one of those players who I will always, always cheer for. Hundred percent. Same. Let's see, given the Seahawks have two of the top ten safeties in terms of cap hit, uh, I think yes, that is a safe conclusion. And three of <laughs> probably the top twenty-five here. Oh my god. Yeah. Like there are only two teams that have a safety with a larger cap hit than Jamal Adams and uh Unsurprisingly, neither of them has a safety that has the their other safety has a cap hit as high as Julian Love. So, that, yeah, that pretty much pretty much says it all there. <laughs> there, there was a a story where Mike Sando, right? He did the off season review so far for each team. Yeah, which I didn't see what he said about the Seahawks, but he was talking the Falcons signing Jeremy Bates and a handful of players, and he was like positional value much. It was like spent a lot of money at safety, and I was like, "Oh boy." I mean, you know, you look at the market for safeties this off season. It does not feel like many of the extensions signed by safeties have aged well for their teams. Uh, and obviously, the Seahawks had had two of those. So, what did did you look at the Mike Sando story about? I, I did not have a chance to get to that now. I still think all things considered, it's been a pretty strong offseason, though. And, like, look, there's still some sunk cost to it. The deal's are already signed for those two safeties. Adding a third one is maybe the question, but... There's a variety of ways that they can use love. So. Exactly. I I am less convinced of the negative positional value of a safety vis-a-vis some other positions. Because secondary is still... I, I, you know, secondary pass rush are pretty commensurate to me as far as the most important ways to spend your money on defense. Uh, seems like the reviews here in uh, the Sando piece are pretty positive. Uh, one executive said the Gino deal is really smart, very fair, because it is year to year option on a player who played well for you over a single season and who you respect, but might not be the long term answer. Fremont Jones was a good signing. What they did was pretty good. And yeah. another executive recorded said that Devin Bush is a better fit for the Seahawks than he was in Pittsburgh. 
Okay. There you go. Yeah, that's neutral to slightly positive. <laughs> people like, like Trey Jones. Also, we'll as a that. player, people like Trey Jones. Without uh, question. And then I think there was a Todd McShay three-round mock. Two-round mock draft. Three rounds Only two would rounds. be too far. Ooh, okay. Too well, far. well, the Seahawks have as many picks as they would have at three rounds. Uh, not not sure they have a Todd third rounder, don't they? No, that's what I'm saying. Is they, they A two-round mock for the Seahawks is as many picks as most teams would have in three rounds. More actually, because they have four through two rounds. Although I guess you would get comp picks if you got into the third round. Uh, so if you were the Niners at number five. He had Jalen Carter over Will Levis at twenty. He had the Seahawks taking Boston College. Wait, what were the top? Give me the top four. And you you can't figure out from Jalen Carter over Will Levis who the top four were. It's three quarterbacks. One, two, three Anderson. quarterbacks. Then Will Anderson at four. Then yes. Jalen Carter at five. He had a trade up from four to three to pick Anthony Richardson. At 20, he had the Seahawks taking Boston College wide receiver Zay Flowers. At 37, Jackson Smith, the Igbaga. Higher than that. 37, Georgia Tech outside linebacker Keon White. And at 52, TCU offensive lineman Steve Avila, who is listed as a center slash guard. So that would certainly be a draft that a uh, top two rounds of the draft that filled some important needs for the Seahawks. I honestly think I'd be down with it as far as that draft goes. I still think that Jalen Carter is probably, if you could pick one individual player that if this was Vegas style odds and you had to say, I'm betting on one player that the Seahawks can draft. I still think Jalen Carter is number one. Yeah, I think that's probably a reasonable choice. Uh, Smith and Jigbo was going 11 to Tennessee. I mean, if the Seahawks do trade down, if the Seahawks trade down and could figure out a way to get a pick next year and get Jackson Juba, I don't care about anything else. He's the only player at this point that I care about the Seahawks drafting. The only player? I mean, if I could choose one player in this draft, I guess I'd be pretty excited about Will Anderson, but like, I don't know. A wide receiver is going to be so much more present. Yeah. I mean, a wide receiver will be more fun. For sure. But positionally, you look at it, and there's interior pass rush. There is there is wide receiver, linebacker depth, and then the other the interior other offensive, offensive line. line. Yes, which I, anytime they're drafting off the lineman, I'm for it. Yeah. So, so I, I think that linebacker would be the only one draft. that you hadn't addressed in that that's that scenario. Yeah, it would be a very normal draft for the Seahawks, which ultimately, having back to back normal drafts, would be great for the Seahawks. Also, not taking a running back in the first two rounds would be a win. Yeah, there's no Bijan Robinson in there, but I think. If any Kelly mocks Bijan Robinson the Seahawks again, if he if he even puts that idea into their mind, if they draft, <laughs> I'm gonna personally blame him at Pelton Cast Live. Oh no, well they won't. They can't possibly have drafted him by that point. <laughs> that, that's fine. I will threaten him at Pelton Cast Live. Uh, Todd McShay had him going a little ahead of the Seahawks second pick, so it's not a possibility for them. Great, I love that. Anything else on the Seahawks? 
it it's definitely kind of uh it was save flowers you said yep who danny has a 21 with <sighs> Bijan robinson at 20 i would not be happy about that combination i would not be happy about <laughs> the combination of picks yeah no but but no. again it's it feels normal yeah a little bit of a dead period right now for a couple of weeks did we ever get the selfie with will levis no, Anthony Richardson was the last one. Okay, we did get that selfie. Yeah. Okay. So we got we're, selfies with all the quarterbacks. Yeah, we're complete. The set is complete. The, they're going to make stadium <laughs> club trading cards with them all. What what pick? <laughs> what pick does Todd McShay have Will Levis going with? By the way. Uh, let me see here. Number no. Still scrolling. Oh, he has number 14, Tampa Bay trading up to take Levis at 14. Okay. Danny has him at 11 to the Titans. So. I don't know. We'll see. There, I, again, this is kind of like the combine's over. Free agency is mostly over. There's three weeks when all that we're looking forward to at this point is Puntcast Live April 21st at Pelletown Yacht Club previewing the NFL draft with the ringers draft guru Danny Kelly sold out. <laughs> uh, yeah, where hit us up if you want to come. There, yeah. sh- there should be guest list spots available if you're interested in coming. We've had ones of people hit us up. Uh, it wasn't twos. No, I guess it was still once. Yeah, well, especially if you made it to this <laughs> point of the pod, you certainly uh, are, are worthy of hitting us up. You earned it. If you if you get this far and tell us your favorite Katie moment of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks. I have a hat for David. I should I should mention this. <laughs>